Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndre, here with Bill Goldberg. Hello, sir. Good morning, afternoon, whatever it is. For yeah. How's, uh, how's Texas? Oh, Texas is beautiful. <laughs> Got a little rain last night, both in and outside of the garage. So, I mean, it yep. was, uh, the weather here, as they say, just if you don't like it, wait 15 minutes. Man, it's awesome. But we did get a baseball game in last night. Gage's team kicked. Uh, Smiths and Valley's ass, which is awesome. Smiths and Valley's the big, big cheese out of here. So, yeah, it's good, man, it's all good. How's, uh, good. how's weather in Cali? Normal? Uh, yeah, you know it's been cool out, but the the rains cleared up, and it was uh, a little bit of overcast. Nice, cool weather, and it made it, I would say, ideal conditions for racing. So when we were mm-hmm. at uh, NHRA a couple of weeks ago. Um, it rained like the next day, but not during racing and the cars were going fast. And, uh, and then, uh, Adam Kroll and I just went out to, um, Grand Prix of Long Beach. We were out there a Sunday, uh, a record amount of people. I was told by Jim McKillian, 89,000 people, not, great, not for a great event, dude. Okay. Just, just well, Sunday on race day, 89,000 people. And that goes, That's you know, true. it went a week long with, with drifting and everything. It was, uh. It was a super fun event. They had the vintage F1 cars out there. Every year they do a vintage thing, either IMSA or, or whatever, and they brought out the uh, F1 cars. And those cars sounded fantastic. And I didn't get lap times on them, but the vintage F1 cars probably scoot around that track almost as fast as the Indy cars because it's such a tight track. If you remember the hairpin and around oh, the fountain remember. and the whole thing, right? Uh uh, so it it was it was good to see that. Um, we got to walk around and, and catch up with some friends. We went over to Meyer Shank Racing. We talked to uh, uh, to Mike Shank. We spoke to Jim Meyer. We spoke to who owned the team. We spoke to uh, Simon Pagano and 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 he's he's so like into it. He's got the kinetic tape all over his arms. He's drinking the protein shake. And every time racing season comes around, he looks like he's about 10, 12 pounds leaner, like just to be lighter weight in the car. Like it's just so like he's just a driver. He's such like into what he does. And, and I, I'm not saying the other guys aren't. I'm just saying other guys also even the veterans are like, they have other businesses and they're buying in other things and they're in it, you know, and Simon is just a, such a racing car driver. And all he wants to do when you talk to him, he is like, when I'm not racing Lamar, I want to go to, I want to race or I'm not racing IndyCar. I want to race at Lamar or I want to race here and I want to drive something I haven't done. And I want to go off road. And I was like, you just want to drive shit. He's like, yeah, I just want to keep driving. Well, when you get paid for it for a living, why wouldn't you want to drive every single thing? I, I know. I mean, what I can't imagine many things better than that. And it seems to make him so happy. So, uh, you know, we got to look at get into the cars and look at the cars a little bit more and see what's going on with the technology. Um, went over to uh, uh, Ray Hall's team as well and uh, hung out with Graham Ray Hall for a little bit. And Graham's such an interesting guy because... He's kind of like, first of all, Tommy Kendall, old school racer uh, that we love. Uh, Graham's as big as Tommy. Like, Graham's 6'2". You know, that's 
these IndyCar drivers are like jockeys. You know, you see Graham standing next to Elio Castroneves or Tony Kanaan, or and you're like, Graham's a giant. You know? Me versus you. Yeah, it really is. It, it really is. So you know, he he talks a bit about like how to fit in the cars and how it's different and and interesting. I go what because I was like, how much boost are you running? And he's like, I don't know. And then he asked another guy on his team, how much boost are we running in the turbos? He's like, I don't know. And, and the third guy is like, I don't know, like 18 to 20 pounds, I think. And we're like, it's weird. Nobody knows. And he said, yes. So Honda supplies engines to IndyCar and GM does. And then every driver, every car is assigned an engineer by either Honda or GM. So the teams themselves aren't allowed to tune those cars. It has to be independent. So IndyCar goes to Honda and GM and they get an engineer and that guy's basically assigned to you full time and they dial in everything on the tuning of that car separate from the team. And they consider things like how much do you weigh and how what's your driving style? They can do throttle mapping and stuff just to, to and shifting all based off of your driving style. So it it's all within the parameters of the the horsepower and torque and everything that those cars make. But then they can fine tune it around the driver of that car. But they don't. The team itself doesn't get to know what's really done. Well, it seems as if that situation would be quite easy to finger point. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it, it, it oh kind of is. I mean, obviously the team like dials in the suspension and they, you know, they put the car together and they take it apart. But then, and, and it's you know, listen, back back in the day, you see the cars fire up in the pits and then they're pulling plugs out and reading the plugs. We saw them fire up the cars in the pits, and there's two dudes with laptops just looking at just as the cars idling in the pits and they're just going through all the data on the laptop, just going, Oh yeah, it's good. Now you can shut it down and we're going to take it out there. So just the advancements and the technology that's been put out there um, uh, is amazing. And then we were talking to Graham. I was like, well, what's the next step? How, how long you've been running the engine? He's like, well, the platform, the block, the essential architecture is already about 10 years old on that engine. And they were already supposed to be into the new engine, but there's been a delay. So maybe next year, and it's going to be hybrid technology. Now, a lot of this is to move the sport into the future. Uh, you, you know, do these guys care if it's hybrid or not? I'm not really sure yet because they haven't tested it. So they're not really into it. But at one point, they were saying it was a larger displacement twin turbo six cylinder. And an electric motor on the bell housing with a small battery, but the electric motor was going to be like the push to pass button. It was going to be, uh, it's just going to be their boost button is, and how that will work. So mostly they're running on the gas engine. And I was like, well, how do you fit the batteries in? Weight's an issue. And he's like, they'll probably end up reducing some of the fuel tank capacity in lieu of battery. Um and I was like, well, what is the car's way now? And he said, my car with driver is about 2,000 pounds. So he's about 2,000 pounds race ready. What, what are they projected to be? I, I, 
I don't know that it's going to be too much more, but it could end up being, you know, 2100, you know, and now in the racing world, that makes a difference, you know, you know, that's 5% more weight and that, that makes a difference. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that evolves and how that sort of translates onto the track, but obviously they're not taking it. This isn't, formula e right they're not trying to take away all of the the sound and and you know the architecture of these engines yeah they're just i mean that's what formula e is for right like you you get to it i mean maybe over the years or something the 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 hybrid technology will get improved they'll get beefed up we're seeing it in the the lmp cars right the meyer shank racing team just won daytona for the second year in a row with the honda uh the acura hybrid cars and those cars are more conventional than we think. You know, the, the engine in the rear, it's got electric motors in the front, makes it, I believe, makes it all-wheel drive. You know, that's more like what they did with the Acura NSX. Uh, so anyway, just it was, it was cool to go out there and see the guys. And then, of course, then Robbie Gordon's out there with the trophy trucks at the end of the day. And, and uh, a, there was a great move where all the trucks – they come out there, they're flying through the air, they're doing their thing, and crowds going nuts because it's really fun to see uh, the stadium trucks, rather. And then someone hits a jump, the car, the truck behind them accidentally hits that guy's rear bumper like in the air. So when he goes down, he lands like in front of the ramp, one of the ramps in front of the straightaway, and it moves the ramp, right? So the mm-hmm. next lap, Robbie Gordon stops his truck in the middle of the track, basically throws his win out the window and he backs his truck up and he moves the ramp back into a place to readjust it. Right. And he just, and the announcers are like, I guess Robbie Gordon just, just forfeit like his, his first place potential win. They're like, I don't know how he's going to win now. He's, he's in last place and he's, you know, half a lap three quarters of a lap down because he's moving the ramp around and he goes i get it you know it it's not safe to hit the ramp on an angle so he's like he just made it safe of course and this this race is only like 10 or 12 laps total 10 laps total he does this on like lap three he He finishes fucking third or third or fourth. Like he just goes, catches up, passes people, gets back up there. I think he was like third or something up there. (laughs) So he's already fast as hell. So um, it it was fun to see. And then after that, they brought uh, like the Porsche cup cars out and, you know, um, the latest and greatest and uh, just the sound and everything was crazy. And then I, I don't know if you heard this, but after, so Sunday, we were probably leaving around 4.30, 4.40, and somewhere like right around 4.45, uh, there was someone out in front of Long Beach Grand Prix with a gun shooting. So this guy came through the neighborhoods, cops were chasing him through a neighborhood, he already had shot at them. And by the time he got to the Grand Prix, uh, out in front of the Grand Prix, they closed down th- the road and they just went all in to get this guy. And uh, unfortunately, he the cops had to shoot him, kill him. But 
let me just say what an incredible effort by the police and the security all around the Grand Prix. Uh, the, the, the security has been beefed up over the past few years uh, because they want that. It's such a huge event. There's so many people. They just don't want mistakes or tragic things like this happening. And they did their job. I'm telling you, the police presence was there. It was a little hectic. Uh, it it happened quickly. This wasn't like, I don't think anybody other than the shooter got hurt, is what I'm saying. Uh, uh, again, thanks to all the people uh, who protect us. You know, the the, the police job. department was on point and they did exactly what they needed to do. And they, they didn't let this escalate and they got it solved quickly. And not only they got it solved quickly, they opened up the road and let traffic go again. Like they were just like, we're shutting this down quickly. And they just, they just made it happen. So uh, very well done, well planned, well executed. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, it's quite the ending to the Long Beach Grand Prix. Yeah, it was. And people heard shots. It was a little frantic. So people were running and trying to get out of the event. It was it was a little hectic, but it's not like you can really go anywhere when you're right on the beach. There. Yeah, and it, it's not it's not a very it's not a lot of like ingress and egress, right? Like it's kind of you know a lot of gates and stuff and and whatnot. <clears throat> so I think what they did is just remove things and made it. So people can leave and go, but they really needed them to go into the right direction, not toward what was happening. Right. So it was, it was well executed. As far as I know that everything that I was been told and what I've been read saying it was, it was, it was done well. So um, anyway, moving on, I'm literally reading an article this morning that says the EPA is out of control. (laughs) The EPA is out of control. So this just came down from the EPA under the Biden administration saying that uh, uh, the EPA has proposed a new regulation mandating that by 2032, 67% of new vehicles, new vehicle sales must be electric. That's 11 times more than what we have today. We have 6% of new vehicles are sold or electric. They want 67%. Uh, I'm just going to, again, say that wouldn't logic tell you that setting up the infrastructure as a plan would be the smart thing to do and then set guidelines on the sales of electric vehicles because then we're prepared for it grid-wise? Yes. And, and the car companies are like, this is, this doesn't, this doesn't really make sense for us. Like you're asking us to make a product that consumers aren't necessarily fully buying yet. You know, it's like, so what, what are we, what are we going to do now? The way they're forcing this 67% is they're doing it with the average CO2 fleet emissions, like for the entire each company, each car company is how they're doing it. And they're saying um, basically for the company, 
they need fleet emissions to drop to 82 grams per mile. And what is it now? 347 grams mm-hmm. per mile. So they're they're proposing this drop in emissions from the vehicles. These are emissions emitted from the vehicles, not emissions created to create this electricity and everything else, right? This is just on the consumer level, right? What what we're going to see in the cars. You have to lower the you have to raise the emissions to compensate for what you're doing to the environment and producing everything. Yeah. Uh, That's basically what's going on. Now, keep in mind that the automotive industry, manufacturing industry, employs 400,000 Americans. If if you're telling these car companies, you got to do all of this stuff to to make 67% of your new cars electric cars, they're going to go, Okay, but we won't be able to sell nearly as many cars, which means we don't need nearly as many people. So uh, whereas the Biden administration and the EPA are going, this is good for Americans. They're going to create jobs and save them money. And the car companies are going, we're going to lay off hundreds of thousands of people. So I'm not sure what's happening here. Uh, uh, Now, infrastructure is is obviously another thing. Infrastructure we've talked about, like in California, especially, how do we charge the cars during the summer? We're told not to plug in the electric cars, not to run our air conditioning. It's quite logical. Uh, it's like a gasoline car. You need gas to run the vehicle. Right? Yes. So you need power to run and charge these batteries. If you don't have the infrastructure, it makes no sense to anybody. Because you the manufacturer by any stretch. Uh, so the statistic that also came up in front of me, because we, we know there's charging issues, like you're saying, but it's also manufacturing issues. And nearly half of the world's copper and 60% of the lithium needed for electric car, for lithium ion batteries, come from China. Whereas right now, the U.S. has more than enough oil on its land to last us for a long time but the rare earth metals that we need for batteries don't exist in the u.s at all so the idea of relying less on foreign countries for oil that argument doesn't hold water because we can do the oil here and we have to rely on the other countries for the battery technology and then when you start getting into like the specifics on how the batteries are are mined and whatever, then you get into this whole world of of in the Congo and and they got these kids working for I don't know what a dollar a day that are hand digging and mining for this stuff and it's 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 kind of it's kind of a mess and it's it's you hear about companies being in trouble for like, oh, you know, you you make your 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 cell phones in another country and all these kids are making it. This is the worst of that by doing the battery mining. So anyway, it it all just kind of seems super aggressive with no real thought as to the chain reaction. That's really just my point here. 
I can't great, great uh, description of what's going on. You know, I I can't claim to be an expert on any of this by any means, but it 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 just seems like there's not a lot of consideration to the like we said to the chain reaction. If the EPA said, "Hey, we're going to come out with these much stricter rules," but we've already spoken to you know the utility companies and 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 you know the precious metals you know where those are coming from and and we've put together a plan or we're proposing a plan that makes a little bit more sense like we're going to get we're going to get battery technology for here and and or we're going to encourage the car companies to get battery technology from here and we're going to encourage the utilities to to do this because we think this makes sense but there's none of that there's no there's no other pieces of the pie. <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, so it just makes everybody scratch their heads and go, I, what is this? Some kind of weird power move? Or they just, the EP just wants like the press release or, or they just want to either look, either they're just doing it because they think this is like a happy press release and it's going to win elections for people or they're they're doing it because it's a power move and they and they're the EPA and they want to bully these companies. I think it's probably both. It's probably a little bit of both, right? They're like, hey, everybody love us because we're going to be clean air. But also it's like, and we're going to do it because we can make you do it. Exactly. But it's it doesn't really, the conclusion that they're promising is completely unrealistic. Logically, like, it makes no sense. Um. Anyway, that's... That's pain in the ass news for the for the day. <laughs> the pain in the ass news for the day. Uh, anyway, uh, to counteract that, um, we've been hearing about Chevrolet doing the Corvette SUV. And yeah, you know, I, I gotta say they haven't advertised it very well. I mean, it hasn't leaked. I don't know, or I've been under a rock because that was the first I heard of when you sent me that. So this actually came out a while ago, I think last year, and then everyone did renderings of it. You know, the the, the car magazines and stuff did renderings and stuff of it. But the plan was uh, Chevrolet wants to build Corvette as a brand the way Ford did with Mustang. We have Mach-E, and then we have all the Mustang variants, you know, the the, the EcoBoost, the V8s, the, the Mach-1s, GT500s, various levels. Corvette having the C8 Stingray and then the Z06 and then the E-Ray and maybe a ZR1 at some point, all these different variants. That's more in line with like what Porsche does with 911. But but then can they take this Corvette brand and do uh, an SUV? Um, and then the, now the thought is maybe two, maybe a small and midsize to compete with Porsche Macan and Porsche Cayenne. Why not? And somewhere in that lineup, they're saying, well, what technology can we pull from the GM catalog? Like Cadillac CTS, uh, CT4 and CT5 Blackwing engines, um, things like that. So what it's looking like uh, last year or some months ago, there was talk about the Corvette SUV being just an EV and going, we're just going to go right out of the gate with EV and that's it. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be some hybrid technology, probably get into EV um, at some point, but they basically what we're hearing is there's four 
proposed engines that could be available at the various lineups, like the base model and then, you know, whatever the, to take a Porsche's nomenclature, there's the base model, there's the S there's like the turbo and the turbo S right. Some versions of that. There's a turbocharged four cylinder. That's 300 horsepower that GM has. There's a twin turbo V6 with 400 horsepower, like uh, CT4, I guess. Uh, there's the 6.2 liter V8, which is the naturally aspirated 500 horsepower. And then we have the supercharged 6.2 liter with 682 horsepower out of, uh, I guess, the Cadillac uh, Escalade, the CTSV, or sorry, the, the, the V version of the Escalade. Um, uh, so a four cylinder, tur- the turbo, turbo four, turbo six, naturally aspirated eight, supercharged eight, get you a nice lineup from 300 to 682 horsepower, which, uh, interesting, right? Could be, could be interesting. I, I think, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on a, a Corvette SUV? Uh, I think we all had thoughts on the uh, Ferrari SUV. And, and the Cayenne at, before that, right? We all had, and the Urus, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's a good move. Why not expand upon a successful platform? Yeah, so uh, even when, when Mustang came out with the Mach-E, people were like, it's not a Mustang. Why put a Mustang name on it? And we're like, well, because there's brand recognition there, and they wanted to add a little bit of, of that DNA, a little bit of that performance in there. Um this doesn't mean you have to buy it. This is going about it a different way. It is going about it a different way. Uh, I Listen, a Porsche Cayennes aren't necessarily the best Porsche as far as holding value. But the Cayenne's been out for a while, and now the Macan. And even though some of those are, are, are worth very little, the older ones didn't seem to hurt the value of the 911. No. Right. And it didn't, the resale of the 911 doesn't hurt any of their GT cars. So I think when you come down to collectability, you know, I think a Corvette SUV is going to do absolutely nothing for the value of the Corvette Z06, for example, or the ZR1 or whatever. I, I, I don't think it's, I think we're over that. I think we've seen it time and time again. It, we're, we're over it. And like you said, Lamborghini's got theirs. Aston Martin's got their SUV. Ferrari's got their SUV. Ferrari just said between that and a couple of their other cars, they've got orders going out to 2024. They're completely booked. Like they're, they're, they're fine. They're like, like the SUV, don't like the SUV. The fact is they're going to sell a bunch of these SUVs and <laughs> that was their plan. It's not going to hurt the value of their other, brand, of their other uh, models. Right. So uh, anyway, that's kind of what's going on with, um, with uh with Corvette and speaking of Porsche Cayenne, uh Porsche just announced the the updates for the 2024 Cayenne. Um I think the biggest thing is going to be on the interior and you see that just screens across. You still got your gauge cluster, it's all digital in front of you. In the center stack, you've got your your infotainment system, but now you've got a screen that reaches out in front of the the front passenger as well. Um it's it's nice. I mean, it looks it looks good to me. It still has that sporty feel. I mean, I mean, I like the the gauge cluster and stuff all in front of you, and it has what looks like conventional gauges, although it's all digital. So, not losing that. Um, still has the uh, uh, the clock, 
the chronograph up on the up on the middle of the dash as as an option. Um, you know, it's a, I don't know. I think it's a nice evolution of it. I, the Macan is going to be more interesting because that's going to to EV, whereas the Cayenne is still going to have the base three liter V six, which will get about a thirteen horsepower uh, bump and thirty six pound feet. Um. Uh, bump over the previous model the the cayenne e-hybrid uh gets a little bit bigger battery pack um which should give you a little bit more pure ev range which was like 17 miles previously but it's going to get a little bit more um but the e-hybrid has more horsepower now as well from the electric motors uh it's 463 horsepower combined and 174 of that's coming from the electric motors. Um, and then from there, we've got the Cayenne S, uh, which will drop the V6 it had and go to the twin turbo V8. And then uh, from there, you get the Cayenne Turbo uh, GT, which will be the 650 horsepower version. Um, that's about a 19 horsepower bump. So, uh, we got 348 horsepower, 463 horsepower, hybrid, 468 horsepower, V6, and then 650 horsepower, uh, I'm sorry, 468 V8, and then 650 V8. Should get the, uh, should get the fast one down to about 3.1 seconds <laughs> 0 to 60 in, in the SUV. Um, yeah, I mean, they look good. I, the, the front's getting a little weird. The the latest Macan, the, the front grille thing's a little weird to me, but not uh, not bad, just a little weird. Not BMW-ish. Not BMW-ish, not BMW-ish. I you know I, I we we just got like a, a couple minutes left, but I just I I tell you I'm still impressed with what Genesis is doing, and um I like I said before I've got I've got four weeks of driving the various Genesis vehicles. Um, we, we started it this week. We're gonna go four back to back. We started with the GV60, which is the small all electric SUV. And look, you, you you get into it, and yeah, there's there's the silver painted plastic buttons and the the little orb in the middle that spins over, and it's got the controller to shift gears. It's got kind of a plastic feel and stuff to it. If this was Bentley, all of that would be you know aluminum, all machined aluminum. But how do you get this vehicle to perform and and be nice in that sixty to seventy thousand dollar range. And I would say that they did a wonderful job doing it. First of all, it's quick. It's zero to sixty in like three point seven seconds. It's got a boost button on the steering wheel, which is loads of fun. You don't have to put it into any kind of mode or whatever. You hit that button and it's like a nitrous switch. It, you hit it. And it starts taking, it adds 50, I think 54 horsepower for a 10 second blast. You, you don't have to hold it down, but you push it and it's on. And like, if you're 
cruising at 30 miles an hour and you got your foot on the accelerator a little bit, you hit that button, this thing leaps forward. It Those is- are the exciting things that make guys like us look at EVs in a different way. It, it it really is just kind of a fun little feature that you can hit kind of whenever, just get, get on the on-ramp or, you know, cool. open stretch of road. Like, it's just a fun, it just feels like it, it, it kind of, yes, in our heads, anybody that, you know, had nitrous on a car back in the day, it's like, it's got a little bit of that nitrous button feel to it, right? And it's kind of really? fun. And it's just a button right there that says boost and, and it's, uh, it, it makes it kind of fun. So I that drove the consumer what they want, right? So yeah, I mean, right. I drove the Audi Q4 e-tron. Uh, I spoke about it on Shift and Steer, the other podcast, and that's around the same price range, around sixty thousand dollars to start. Um, and there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was it was comfortable and it it felt good, but it, for and it's entry level to Audi, but it just for me didn't feel like Audi. It's like all oh, so much plastic, the door panels, no soft touch materials. It but just didn't, didn't feel didn't like Mercedes do the same thing with the first one that you drove at a Mercedes. You had nothing but the same thing to say about that. I mean, yeah, and, and basically how people are able to get that price point, you know, with this new technology is to basically build an iPad, you know, with enough batteries and then try to make it as cheaply, you know, produced as humanly possible. You're right. You're paying for that electric drivetrain. You're paying for those batteries. Yes. My comments on the Mercedes were, although a nice vehicle, it didn't feel quite Mercedes to me. And I would say thing same about the Audi, although an Audi is anything. Is any manufacturer making an electric vehicle that actually gives you the feeling of the lineage of their brand? Well, Mercedes just, announced their uh their Maybach uh SUV EV. So it's the all electric version of what I drove as a Maybach. And it's just got all the interior and all that stuff. Now it comes at a price. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um I, I guess because I was a little disappointed in the lack of Audi feel in an Audi, you get into the Genesis and maybe I was just assuming the Genesis was going to be closer to the Ionic 5, the Hyundai. And the step between Ionic 5 and Genesis is much better than the step between Volkswagen ID4 and Audi Q4. I, you know, the Genesis has nice soft touch materials on the door and it has some Alcantara and the door pocket and the Audi didn't have anything near that. And, uh, it they put some design into it, you know, like in the door panels and has like looks like two little like rockets coming out of the doors. One's a speaker, one's the mirror control. And when you get into it, it's got this glowing orb that spins over and it's got the 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 transmission selector in it. And I get it. I can nitpick a few things. Go, well, I don't know what happens with when you get crumbs around that little orb if you're eating in your car or something, or what happens if your dog steps on it and it's got a little bit of a plastic feel, but it's not a hundred thousand dollars. It's sixty thousand dollars, right? And and you know, the performance version I'm driving is I think is sixty-nine thousand dollars. So I think in that price range, you're gonna have more fun in the Genesis than you would in the Audi. That's 
what I'm basically coming up with here is I enjoy driving the Genesis a little bit more. It's got an interesting look. You may like it. You may not like it. And it's a kind of a small SUV. But it, but if you're cross shopping the Genesis and the Audi, and, and there's some other things you want to look at as well in that price range, Mustang Mach-E and, and even Ionic 5, um, the Genesis wins it in, in my book. Uh, now I'm curious to see that's, what that's, the next ones are going to be. That's an, an interesting uh, sum, summation, but not a surprising. Yeah, I, I you know, I, it's funny because I, I was talking to to Adam about it as well. We went and looked at another Genesis, and he's like. He's like, you don't have to pay extra for design. He goes, I don't know why the less expensive cars all, you know, through the 90s and the 2000s or whatever. He was like, why did they look so plain? He goes, design doesn't have to cost more, right? If you give it some thought. And and I'm I'm saying the Genesis is a perfect example of that, this GV60 that I was driving. It was like, yes, it still has some of the plastic pieces that you found in, in the Audi, but they gave it a better look. They just made it more fun, and they gave it a little design thought process. process but I think they have that. They have the they have the ability to do that because they're they're not a car company that's been around for so long. They're extending an idea that they've had as tradition throughout the years. They can come up with something from scratch. Yeah, do it. You know, in a completely different design. Uh, go about it a different way, use different materials and come in a lot cheaper than, you know, that Audi that has that specific Audi look and feel that has to be replicated in an electric vehicle. Right. And and Hyundai's doing a thing where they're like, they're not even really making their cars look the same. You know, like, it's not like, oh, hey, everything needs to look like a BMW or an Audi. Everything across the lineup. They're like, we did an Ionic 5. It looks nothing like uh, our other cars. And then we're doing this and we're doing this. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Brings there people into the- something to be said for that, the ability to do that. Yeah. But that's just because, again, they don't have the lineage you know, of, the, of the history. Well, I I like what they're doing. It's very interesting. Um, I, I don't know if this is coming from designers and engineers and working its way up and the bosses are giving them the freedom to do it or if this is coming from the bosses at the top going – uh, you know, let's let's make some different things. Let's mix it up a little bit. But I like where it's going now. Yeah, either way, the end result is pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like you don't like this, you you can like something else in the lineup that has kind of a different look. But yeah. um, all right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up. Is there anything we're missing? What do you got going on? You're gonna you're going to you're going to London. Going to London here next week and uh, doing a little signing over there, and then celebrating our anniversary for a couple of days. Oxwalds yeah. and having a little bit of fun being invisible, which would be good. And get get back here, finish this garage and uh, hit the ground running, man. All right. Well uh it sounds good. It's gonna be a good trip. I know that's coming up pretty soon. Um yeah we've got some uh yeah we'll just keep you updated on things as we come up. Um yeah and uh drink bravago that's the website for uh for the for the hard seltzer. Um uh thanks for the orders they're still coming in we appreciate you guys doing that and uh give it a give it a try let you know what you th- let us know what you think and, and it's good uh, to be that time of year to uh pop open that bravado right that's right uh 
you know um hopefully the weather's getting a little better and uh we can we can start to enjoy that over at the, at the beach or poolside or wherever you are but um all right guys thanks so much i appreciate it until next time keep the air in the for the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com.